0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Drivers who switch and save with Progressive save over $700 on average, and those savings add up. Imagine what you could buy in the future. Hey, remember how 20
1: years ago I switched to Progressive? Well, now it's the future, and I used all those savings to buy this new hologram phone. Because, you know, it's the future, and everything is holograms now. It's- All right, and we're back with episode two of our quarantine conversations. I'm Wes Mitchell, Gamecock Central, joined today by a very special guest, former Gamecock Mo Brown. Um, I'm sure most of you don't know this, but Mo was actually Mo. I don't know if you remember this or not. You were the first person that I ever interviewed in my entire like
0: I do know that
1: career. So um, I I was in class and uh, yeah, had had reached out to Mo and. and I interviewed him for, for something I had to do in a journalism class at USC. Um, our time at USC um, overlapped a little bit. So, um, Mo, uh, thanks for being on, man. And um, but we're going to make this sort of, we're going to talk about a lot of topics, not necessarily specifically politics, but we well, still have to ask, man. Obviously, you're running for Congress. Um, what was it about um, politics and leadership and stuff like that that made you make this obviously big decision um, t- to run for Congress? And, uh, and uh, I guess what do you just, generally speaking, want to accomplish um, with that decision, man?
0: Yeah, well, well, first, thanks, thanks for having me on, Wes. And I do recall that I was your first interview, <laughs> and it seems like we've continued to grow our professional careers uh, kind of parallel here. So it's great to see you still doing well and with Gamecock Central, and you're definitely a dear friend to me. And so I'm glad that we get to do another interview as I go into a new phase in my life, and I think that's appropriate. So uh, it was funny when we was talking and you texted me about doing this, I, I kind of laughed and said, dang, the universe aligning again. here. Here's Wes and I. So uh, definitely appreciate being here and uh, getting the opportunity to share a little bit of me and my story with Gamecock, um, Gamecock Nation. So thanks. Uh, to your question, it's uh, – it, yeah, I'm all I'm. Been, I'll, I'll, I have always been someone who's uh, just a lover of just anything I, I have passion for, and I have a deep passion for my state, um, and I have a deep passion for my country. And um, I was just looking at the lay of the land and seeing, primarily, the division that we have uh, in a country that's surrounded by our individual perspective on what this country should be and i just felt that we were missing the point of what america is and america strength is our diversity and ideals and thoughts and then working on being better inclusive of uh, of us going towards that more perfect union and so um just like everything i've approached in my life and being a little small town country boy who has who has fought for everything i've been able to get uh, I decided to roll up my sleeves and fight for my country, fight for unity in the United States of America and do my part to do, do so. Um, what I hope to accomplish is exactly that. Uh, get back to understanding that discourse is essential. is one of the cornerstones of what we believe our country to be. So, being able to hear people's perspective without feeling like you have to conflict over it instead of explore instead of explore explore it um, so that you can get a better idea of where someone else comes from and their thoughts because at the end of the day we're all the sums of our experiences, and if we can learn from each of our collective experiences, um, hopefully we'll be better. Um, as a collective, if we do that. So that was my wise, Um and that's what I hope I'll be able to do through experiences that I've been able to um, experience in life uh, through football, through just living, through heartaches, through disappointments, to successes, all those things, and bring it to Congress and hopefully um, get more stuff done on behalf of the American people.
1: Nice, nice, man. Uh, obviously, um, you know, we, we wish you luck with that. I, I know um, regardless of people's political leanings one way or the other. Um, you know, I I think we can all agree we need more good people, you know, in politics and in leadership ability, man. So, um, I've always considered you one of the good ones, man. So I uh, certainly wish you uh, luck in, you know, fulfilling and succeeding, you know, all those goals, man. So you you mentioned small town, um, that you're from, uh, let's first go back, man. I I think recruiting's probably changed a little bit since, uh, (laughs) since you came out, but when when you look back, man, I I see, I see you got the high school helmet um, behind you there. So, um, you know, take us back, Um, you know, shout out your old high school maybe, and and tell us what, what was it like going through the recruiting process back then and what was it that led you to uh, Steve Spurrier and the Gamecocks at the time, man? Yeah, man, definitely big shout out to
0: West side. Um, Man, that's, that's, that's home. Uh, I'm not here without the leadership that I received uh, from the teachers from the coaches uh, from the principals administrators to down to the janitors I mean everyone was a big part of helping me shape me into the young adult that turned into the USc commit so definitely did a sh- big shout out to westside uh, love my high school uh, means a lot to me and uh, you know recruiting then was like I said I kind of had to go get it there are some people that was on my Uh, I guess, looking at me as a potential recruit. Matter of fact, Coach Kane with Vanderbilt was the first um, D1 school that really started looking at me. That was in the spring, uh, and they thought that I could be a good player, et cetera, had pretty good grades. So Vanderbilt was uh, interested in me. But I I remember very distinctly uh, my coach – From high school, Coach Ted Luckadoo, he looked at me and said, hey, Mo, you're going to have an opportunity to play on the next level, and we're going to commit to do what we can to get you there. And um, he he said, just let me know a couple schools that you want to go to camp. Um, And so I decided to go to USC in Tennessee, and um, I actually grew up a Clemson fan, but it was just too close to home for me, and I just didn't want to be 20 minutes down the road. and. Quite frankly, I didn't think Coach Biden—excuse I mean, me, um, Bowden—being um, you know, a Clemson fan, seeing all those great recruiting classes, and always finishing in the Peach Bowl, it didn't lend to me to show that he was a great coach. And then Coach Spurrier came in in '05, and being a receiver um, to USC is like, okay, oh, cocking for—I guess it was what uh, was funny gun back in Florida. And the opportunity to potentially play for Steve Spurrier really caught my attention. And despite my leanings towards Clemson, I was always a practical guy. And so I went down to USC uh, spring camp, uh, well, summer camp, I should say, was a number of seniors there and a few juniors that was highly rated. And uh, I showed out. I just had a really good day. And it was About 45 minutes into it, we had a break, and Steve Spurrier Jr. came up to me after that first session and uh, offered me a scholarship that day. And a couple of weeks later, I I ended up committing to USC because I just felt like that was the right fit.
1: So I I know, um, and I actually pulled up some of your old highlights on YouTube, man. I know the thing with Mo Brown, even going back to um, high school, was the speed, man. So um, as I'm watching these highlights, Mo, what what is the fastest that forty yard dash? What's the fastest that you know two thousand six, two thousand seven, two thousand eight? Mo Brown ran, and <laughs> most importantly, what does Mo Brown twenty twenty um, have on Mo Brown back then? Man, how 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 fast are we today, and how how badly would?
0: That's it, a great question, man. <laughs> great questions. Uh, I don't really tell the people – I don't tell people the fastest time I ever ran just because people just won't believe it. I just don't do it. But, you know, when I was training for uh, Pro Day and things of that nature, uh, Marty Marquette and I was doing a lot of training together. We had the same sprint coach. Uh, matter of fact, Coach Brown with USC was doing a lot of sprint training. And uh, him and I we used to go back and forth with our times. Like he will go 4-3-2, I go 4-3-1. He'll go four two nine and I go like 429 four two nine, four two eight. So I can practice when you're loose and you've been training your 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 muscles to stimulate like they supposed to. Um those are some of the fastest times I put down. Um and today, if I had to run, I definitely still got a, a a good mid four four, maybe low four five in me. If you catch me on on hand time and it's, it's it's the right warmth and I've been lubricated like I need to, then I I think I got about a four or five still in me.
1: Okay, I got you. So so you're not touching twenty eight or two thousand eight mode, but you're still smoking most of the the population out there. So um so that's good, man. And Marty Martin You
0: know, I don't know, maybe we have to put it to... what what was that? What was it? What was what was about Martin? I was yeah, gonna say, I, well maybe we have to put it to the test, man. Maybe I'm underselling myself.
1: Hey, I mean, I, I think that's great. Um Campaign footage, man. I mean, it, you know, let's let's see what you got out there, dude. Yeah,
0: yeah. If you're putting yeah, down, a four, we make it figure it out. Yeah,
1: if, if you're putting down a four or five, um, you know, many years after your playing career, then that's uh, that, that's way faster than most men. And I, I was gonna say, Marty, to continue like the <laughs> small world, um, which one thing I've learned, um, sort of being in the media, but I, I try not to be like that media guy like I, I try to have always tried to treat the players like um you know like people as opposed to to football players i, I think sometimes people lose that aspect of it but um i've i've learned that the right. networking within like the sports world um it, it's such a small world man and and you find that if you know one person they you know they they know this person and its connections from all over the country that sort of build up and yep. um it. It's really pretty, pretty amazing to, to kind of be a, a small part of that. And M- Marty is actually a York high school grad, which is where I graduated from. So um, oh,
0: wow. yeah. yeah. So
1: it's, it's all, you know, everything's connected, man. And uh, Marty, yeah. I remember um, in high school was an absolute speedster and was like a, a track guy as well. And um, then I, I think walked on at Carolina, but then, uh, I mean, yeah. by the end, Marty was, um, I think the 2010 game in the swamp, uh, where Carolina won the SEC East or locked up the East. I think Marty started at cornerback. Um, you know, in, in one of the biggest. Yeah, he,
0: in start, he yeah. started in multiple games. Um, Marty, Marty worked his uh, tail off to get the position that he that he was in, uh, and he made plays, man. And he had hearts big as this whole room that I'm sitting in right now. I had a lot of respect and do have a lot of respect for Marty and his plight um to become a starting corner and we had a lot of great corners on our team. It wasn't like we had some slouches uh playing that position and he definitely earned every single second that he was on the field and when he was on the field he made plays for the most part. So absolutely Marty was a, a great addition to our team and you know we stole him from the track team and got him on the on the football team and we were better for it for sure.
1: Yeah, that, that was a good move uh getting him over there on the gridiron. Um so so let's go back, man. You um you played um, – I looked it up to jog my memory. Uh, it was 2006, 7, eight, nine, I believe, correct? And, um,
0: Over like 10 years ago, man. I'm getting yeah. old. <laughs>
1: 10 full years ago. Yeah, uh, 10 full right years. Um, yeah. But so you were like – you were playing sort of, um, you know, beginning part of the Spurrier era. Um, Spurrier yep. era started in 05, so, you know, you're year two. And um, you're right – there when the program was sort of on the precipice of like taking that next step, um, you know, and a part of the, the building blocks of, of that. Um, what was it like, um, I, I guess, first of all, just playing for Steve Spurrier, um, the legend, you know, Steve Spurrier's name speaks for itself, but, but what was it like being around Steve Spurrier on just a day-to-day basis and having probably no idea what's going to come out of this man's mouth?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, the thing about playing for Steve Spurrier is that, and you know, I think any player that's played for him would tell you this, is that he was a perfectionist. And he wanted you to be so detail-oriented and understand that everything had a meaning forward. Um, You know, if you run a route at 12 yards, you run it at 12 yards every single time, unless you're reroute it for certain reasons but it's because of timing and understanding that if you get the timing correctly that you can almost throw the ball with your eyes closed uh, because you see the coverage you know the route you know the timing you know the mechanics and so just his uh, attention to detail and his desire to be a perfectionist I think rubbed off on all of us and at times I think it frustrated him because he saw things so easily. And it's like, if you do it this way, if you execute, then you're going to get this result. And when we didn't do it for whatever reason was, I think that's where most of his frustration came. Um, he wasn't much of a yeller. You know, he didn't really raise his voice a ton. And usually when it was, it was more frustration than he was just yelling at you to call you a dummy a or something like that. Uh, but he he would he would he would definitely kind of belittle you in a way that just made you think, And it was always to challenge your thought process. Like, well, how are you concluding this when I've told you this? Or why are you going left when we say blue side right? Like, I mean, where's confusion there? I need to understand um, how you got that confused. And it just forced you, it forced you to uh, learn how to operate under the pressure that he put on you to be on your mental game all the time. That once you got over that, and you got onto the field. Um, you was able to play more freely, and I, I think that's what I learned most for from him, and it's carried on now even into my adult life.
1: And I, uh, one, one thing I always heard, uh, Mo, and you sort of alluded it to alluded to it there, um, wasn't necessarily that you were worried about Spurrier like yelling at you or just cussing you out or anything. Mm-hmm. It was more that I mean, I heard in the meeting room that this guy's barbs just like would just get under your skin like just see he oh. had a knack for yeah. for yeah. like sticking the knife in. Uh,
0: yeah. Did, I mean, did he ever it, get you good? Oh yeah, I mean, like, the best the best one he got me was uh my freshman year I dropped a few balls if you recall um and, uh and one one of the games I dropped one it's like hit me right in my stomach and we were in the meeting room and this was uh, Sidney rice was sitting behind me, I was sitting right behind Spurrier, and everyone has anxiety. The only person ever had anxiety going into a meeting room, I think, was Sidney Rice. Everybody else was like, I don't, I'm not looking forward to going into the meeting. Win, lose, or draw on Monday because Spurrier is going to find something to get on to you about. And so the play comes where I drop the ball, and he had a, a, a canon ability to pause, rewind, play, pause, rewind, play, Better than anyone, without even looking at the screen. You know, he he he, he turned around like this and talking, and so uh, the ball was coming into my stomach, and he pauses it right there, and he turns around, and looks at Sidney Rice, and say, "Sidney, you are, you think you think gonna catch this ball?" <laughs> like, come on, bro! Everybody in the room know I dropped this ball. As was like this thing never had happened before. Like this is a mystery. Watching a movie or something that no one has seen. And of course, you got to just kind of play along with him. Like so, Sydney's like, "Yeah, I think he, I think he catch it." And he's like, "Oh, oh no, no way he, no way he catches the ball!" Come on, you really think Mo's gonna catch the ball? And I'm sitting here watching this conversation about me. Uh, like it's like I'm not even there, and the whole time he's having this conversation with his back turned to the screen, talking to Sydney. The ball is literally going in and out of my stomach like this the whole time. I mean, literally in and out of my stomach like this. And of course, you know, he plays it. I drop the ball, and he acts like it's the first time he ever seen it. It's like, oh no, boo, no. Why you drop the ball? like I mean well coach I I don't know I took my eyes off of it I wasn't concentrating I mean what you want me to say here and so those are like the little things that he would do just to just to get under your skin and you know after a while you get tired of it and you have to re- either you're either gonna be on the bench <laughs> or you're gonna fun or play better and so you know through my career I ended up playing better and I got more playing time
1: definitely man so you um you brought up Sydney um you know what? What was it like? And I believe what was Alshon there towards the end of your career, your final, yeah, your senior yeah, year. I think in
0: my freshman year and I had Alshon in my senior year.
1: Um, what, what do you what do you remember about just um being on the field with those guys? And um, you know, obviously we've we've seen what they've gone on to do professionally and stuff. And and did you sort of have that feeling? I I've I've heard and back then, you know, you could go watch practices. It's not right. like it is now where everything's locked down. I, I just remember watching practice and talking to people and everybody just being like it was just almost a foregone conclusion you're like these these guys are going to be in the NFL and probably right. be very successful but what do you from being around them day to day what do you remember about being in that locker room with those two guys
0: yeah man you know I, I get that question a lot you know Sydney or Alshon Sydney or Alshon and um I love them both both of them are not only amazing athletes, they're they're just good people, just good good people. Um, and when I first came on campus, I got there a little bit early, and uh, Sydney came and picked me up and took me grocery shopping and all this other stuff too, and had a very good relationship with him. But what really stuck out with Sydney, and I can say the same for Alshun as well, is just their competitive spirit. Um, they wanted to win everything. to a higher higher level, even if it was just pat and go um, as we started practice, the catches they would make and challenge themselves to do and um, this, just how they practice every single day really showed you why they were so successful on the field. And it'd be some of the greatest catches I've seen – where it's in practice with both of those two. And obviously you, we saw what they did in the game, but some of those game catches don't even come close to what we saw in practice. So it was an everyday thing when it, come, when it came to just playing the game of football. They truly enjoyed competing, um, and they, could, they truly enjoyed just the love of the game. Um, so that's why I remember for both of them in their own special way, uh, Sydney was a junk talker he just talked crap all the time. Like he was a jokester. He, he, he had always joke. He was joking all the time. He pretty much got every receiver on the team in trouble, but himself or the jokes he told that we end up laughing at. Uh, so that was, that was kind of Sydney in the, in, in, in the, uh, in the shell. And Alshon was the exact opposite of that from a personality standpoint. Like Alshon was more reserved, more quiet. Um, and believe it or not, he was very considerate. Like he, I always wanted to make sure that the team felt like it was a team that his brothers that was wide receivers would get an opportunity to play. It was often time I would have to say, stay in the game. We need you right now between, you know, between him and Tori, And Tori obviously was a good player, um, but Alshon was just a slightly above everybody. So, I mean, it was evident even as a freshman. And so at times I would have to say, hey, don't come out the game and, that just speaks to his humble uh, personality, but to, to watch him grow into the receiver that he became and is, uh, it, it, w- it was definitely fun.
1: Yeah. And, and all those guys like yourself, also from small towns, you know, mm-hmm. in the state of South Carolina, yep. and, um, you know, ma- making that, that jump from, from Gaffney high school and, you know, right down the road here at Calhoun County, St. Matthews, South Carolina, uh, you know, making that jump from small town, uh, to SEC ball and, and obviously excelling. Um, so obviously, um, back to sort of yourself a little bit, uh, the Steve Spurrier offense, especially back then and what he did at Florida, obviously, like you said, part of the reason you chose South Carolina. Um, did you have a favorite play? Um, I don't mean necessarily like a play that you you made in a game. I mean, like a, a favorite play to run, like a play call um, within the scheme. Was, was there a play that, that, yeah. just, that maybe it always hit when it got called, and and what what was the actual play call for it, and and tell yeah. us what you did on the play.
0: Yeah, so I, there's a few of them. I mean, anytime you can go long, you wanted to go long, so nine semis that came from different versions of it. Um, but I also consider myself a pretty good route runner, and probably my favorite route to run was uh, the out route, the ten to eleven yard out route. So three semi. Um, I used to love any time they called three semi because I knew I was going to get open if you had the right coverage and likely was going to get the ball thrown to me. Um, And then I also like Bulldog semi, which was uh, a combination route where you had a seven semi, which is a short post by 12 yard post. So you go in five up to 10, 11, 12, kind of work your feet and then you split the cover two covers that you normally get. We ran it a lot against uh, Georgia because they played that Tampa two and that crease in between there is where you hit it at. And um, I had a couple catches there. So I I used to love running Bulldog semi, um, three semi, and of course, uh, uh, nine semi. And I also enjoy running the slant route because I got a double clutch, which was a release that we called it where you go the way that you plan on going first and then the opposite direction and then back to to release that you want to go, uh, or excuse me, the direction that you want to go. And I was pretty good just with my slant. So those are the routes I, I, I like to run. But you know, as you get into the Spurger system and understand how it works, it's, it's it's amazing how much details that you understand about defense to really be successful in that that offense. Um, you know, towards your jun- my junior or senior year, it was oftentimes I would come to the line able to read the coverage and we had what we call a double cadence where we go up, say down, say hut, no play is called. You're going to look at the coverage just to try to see what they're showing. And then you call the play at that point in of time. Oftentimes, particularly my senior year, when we did double cadence um, down, said hut, I will be able to see the defense as well and know just based off game planning where we're going to go through. Uh, and once you start being able to see the game like that, everything slows down and allows you to, you know, be more effective in the the, the game and, and understand when the ball is coming to you, or if the ball isn't coming to you, what you need to do to make sure that that person who is getting the ball um, is even more open. And just having that, um, that 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 chemistry within the the offense is uh, pretty cool to figure out in this your offense.
1: And I, I know um, it, it seems like originally, you know, you go back twenty, thirty years ago. Um, a lot of times, you're you're like. There's a play called and you're like running whatever the play says and, and as yep. football has evolved, um, you see more and more where um, and now you obviously have the RPO game where you're reading you know run versus throw and you got passes built mm-hmm. in or tagged on the backside. Um, how, how often when you were running a play with Spurrier, how often is it, hey, this is my route versus um, here's my route, but I'm adjusting based on. Uh, you know, middle, you know, middle fill open, middle fill closed. Like what, what are, what are the things that you're having to read as you're sort of uh, in motion within that route?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think Spurrier is probably one of their godfathers in uh, your, your, your route doesn't necessarily mean this is your route just because we called it that way. Um, we had what we call Ralph and um uh, which is Ralph is a, the play side where we want to, to do a combination route, and Lonnie is the backside, I mean, excuse me, the backside has these set rules, but depending on what coverage you get in Ralph and Lonnie, it was actually a, a, a three-part uh, route that you could potentially have. So, we called Ralph, and you catch a uh, cover three off, right? So, then you had a 15-yard curl, which was a, a long, long, long curl, a seven-step drop. drop. Um, if you caught cover two on Ralph, you had a cover two corner, which five in, up to 10, and then 15, you, you, no, excuse me, five in, up to 15, and then you break to the corner. Um, and then if, say, for instance, they was disguised, and that cover two turned into cover three, well, you still take the same release. And instead of making a corner, you made it an out. And so there was stuff that you had to process where Ralph was telling you you have a combination route and that you have to read that. Um, Other times you will have, let's say, a five semi in, which is a curl route, and that's for off coverage or man off, right? And if that corner downset hood and it comes up to press you before you can make that adjustment, then now you got to adjust that route to do um, to do uh, a, basically a curl a, a curl stop, and so where I'm gonna run and release them. Push them up and then stop and try to get to to the boundary a little bit. And so there was that was an adjustment there. And then back to Ralph, I forgot this. If you catch man press instead of uh, all the coverage that you expected, we had a zig called zig in. And so you work your feet and you're pushing real hard to seven seven like you're going outside or to like a flat. And then you cut back in real sharp up under and catch it maybe like in the curl area. So. I think he was one of the godfathers of understanding how you adjust your route. And and really, none of the the routes that we had was just always set because depending on what you got on cover, you had it just accordingly.
1: And I think uh, Ralph Lonnie was like one of his most famous um, play designs, I believe. Because at the time, um, when he first did it in Florida from stuff I've read from back then, uh, nobody Mm -hmm. else was really doing that, I I don't think. And, you know, that that was one of the first – maybe one of the first play calls where if you executed it um, with what defenses were doing back then and if you got protection up front, you were never wrong with that play right.
0: call. Exactly. So
1: it was dynamic. It was changing based on,
0: exactly. Exactly. you know, what,
1: what you were seeing. Um, so uh, do, you have, um, do you have a favorite maybe particular play that you made in a game or a favorite game memory at, at South Carolina?
0: Yeah, man. I mean, you know – Probably one of my favorite plays um, is uh, catching that out, excuse me, the corner route that we ran that I ran uh, against North Carolina state first game of my senior year to mm-hmm. seal that game. Um, and the reason why that was so fun is that ball was actually attended, intended, intended for a turret girly. And so what it was is a rollout to the right. We just needed a first down to ice the game and, um, it's Garcia at quarterback, right? Yeah, Garcia at quarterback. And um, we uh, had, ran this play, ran this play all week, and maybe even a couple times during that game. And the whole purpose of what I was trying to do was outside release as the slot receiver to uh, make that linebacker have to go around me to make the out route for Torrey wide open and you're rolling it, et cetera. But, you know, the court, the, the linebacker – Either he has seen the play or he has studied the play. He jets out for the out. And there's no way that I can get outside of him. But so I'm reading it out. And as I'm reading it out, I see that the corner, excuse me, the safety is not playing his cover two responsibility. And I just run my route. And I'm thinking the whole time, I hope Garcia sees me because mm-hmm. I'm wide open. And he does, he throws the ball. And it's kind of high. I had to go up and get it dropped. And then I, I, I get up, and, of course, that's the end of the game. kind of showboat a little bit, but not showboat. And I, I distinctly remember Melvin Ingram being right in front of my face like, <laughs> like this. And pretty much that was the end of the game. I don't know why I like that play so much. I think because it was just so many things that was moving. It wasn't planned. We just played football, and we ended up getting a win because of it. So that that was pretty cool. Um, favorite game probably was one that we actually ended in the loss, but me personally just – because I had such a good game it was uh, Georgia '08, uh, and we played them at played them at William Bryson. It was like 92 degrees. Um, there's a lot of backstory behind that because uh, the week before I had played against Vanderbilt, and Kenny had pulled his hamstring mm-hmm. in that game. Um, I also uh, sprung my MCL in that game. Uh, Pat DeMarco had had to go. Block one of those those linebackers or safety that I had no business trying to block. And um, Pat DiMarco met me at the same time that I was meeting him and he hit my leg, which ended up basically spraying in my MCL. And it was just one of those situations where I knew that I could not sit out the game due to the fact that Kenny was out and mm-hmm. if we wanted to win, like we had to play. So um, they ended up putting a brace on me and I got back in the game. I played like crap the rest of the game, but – um, I tried. And then the following week, you know, because of my leg or whatever you want to have it, I was not starting and they had Joe Hills, but I had been telling myself I'm gonna have a good game. I'm gonna have a good game, have a good game. I don't care where my position is. We're gonna beat Georgia. And um, I ended up catching seven balls for 130 yards, caught my first touchdown um, right there in, in the student section. And, you know, we should have won that game, but we ended up losing 13 to seven against the number two team in the country. So. Um, that's definitely one of my funnest memories.
1: Yeah was that was that like a go ball, like a go route, a fade route that you? Yeah,
0: actually, actually, that was um, steamers, which is basically uh, another one of those reroutes for the wide receiver. And um, but we knew they was going to play that tempo two, and that if I had that outside release, which they were not, they were not forcing me inside um, all game. And we seen it. Spurrier called a timeout and said, "Mo, you know, go up the sideline, Smelly." Uh, hit him on hit him on this go route, and so Smell did a really good job of holding the safety, and then looking down and hit me um, on the steamers, and that was that was a good touchdown.
1: Yeah, you uh, you mentioned Kenny, man. I, I know we talked about um obviously Sydney and Alshon, man, but that uh, I mean I guess we'd be remiss without mentioning Kenny. Obviously, sad ending there, but um, man, the thing I remember about Kenny McKinley, and the thing that I think part of the reason it was so shocking when it happened. Um Kenny, all, at least in open media settings, Kenny had the best smile. And this guy was always smiling. Yeah. Uh, what, uh, I mean, what, what do you remember about uh, playing with, with Kenny and, um, you know, what, what sort of he meant to you and the team, I guess?
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, it's kind of funny. I played with three of the greatest wide receivers in the history of our our. Our uh, school—I mean, literally three of the top five receivers in Sydney, Kenny, and um, Alshon. So that was that was a, that was a blessing, um, in some ways. It was to my detriment too, <laughs> but nonetheless, uh, Kenny Kenny was just such a great spirit. And you're talking about just highly competitive. Um, he competed all the time. He practiced hard. I modeled so much of my game after his uh, his ability to run routes was unmatched uh, he, he got in and out um, and he was just so consistent you knew exactly what you was going to get from him every time he touched the field um, he wanted to win he was gonna give his all and he was just fearless like you know me and Kenny was basically the same size I mean literally we were copy copies of each other and when you seen our physique and I often got um, called Kenny out in public um, multiple, multiple times uh, and the thing that stuck out most to, about him as you astutely said was just just his energy his personality and it was just always warmth around him but at the same time what people don't understand about Kenny like Kenny literally was fearless and so he didn't put up with much either now once you start pushing Kenny you got a whole nother Kenny that would, would literally fight anyone who was you know challenging him and um, I think that mix of Kenny is why he was so successful at the game and he just played it all the right way, and he definitely was one of the greats. To me, he's the best route runner I ever seen in my life, and I'll, I'll go to my grave saying that. And uh, I dearly miss him. Uh, I think a lot of us miss him, uh, just his spirit and and who he was. But he he was definitely a pleasure to play with, and I don't think you'll find one of his teammates to have anything negative to say about him.
1: Yeah, yeah, man, and uh very well said there. And uh we've uh we've had you for a long time, man. So I um I don't want to keep you much longer, Mo, but, uh, dude, uh, great stuff. We appreciate the time. And, uh, finally, uh, you want to just maybe speak to Gamecock Nation for a second? Uh, Is is there anything else you want to add or anything else uh, you want them to know? Um, Yeah. uh, Talk to them for a second, I guess.
0: Yeah, man. I mean, you know, one, I just want to say my appreciation to Gamecock Nation. You know, I grew up under the likes of William Bryce and the fanhood, that is, will excuse me. That is Gamecock Nation, and because of that, you know, I I, I have a great affinity for the school. Um, it, it being able to stay in-state and have that deeper affiliation for the state. Um, I, I I have so much I owe to my time at USC, and even afterwards, being staying connected. So Gamecock Nation, um, we're going to have our time. We got to stay committed to who we are as Gamecocks and understand that fighting spirit of. Uh, of what a Gamecock is, you just keep fighting until you can't fight no more, literally. And I believe if we do that, if we have a season, you know, as schedule or if it's even in the spring, um, we got to make sure that we're staying behind the guys, that we're encouraging them. Um, no one's going out there on that field looking to loops. And we, we, we compete against the best in the country, literally the best in the country in the SEC. So that challenge is something that we as players take to heart. And if we push these guys in a way that we can't control and that's being positive and saying that we can win every single game that we touch and we all believe in it, we're going to have a good opportunity to go into this this season this year and be successful. So just continue to be great Gamecock uh, fans, um, believe in what we're trying to do, believe in Muschamp and uh, the team, and hopefully we have a great season uh, come 2020.
1: Great stuff, man. Mo, I can't tell you how much I appreciate it, man. Um, honored to call you a friend and uh
0: likewise
1: good luck man so uh let's uh let's do this again one day and For sure. uh, i know you're a busy man but uh good luck out there keep uh, fighting the good fight man and we'll uh we'll talk to you soon and we'll be watching okay
0: man we will do let's go cops
1: there it is all yeah. right that's mo brown our quarantine conversation uh we'll be back next week i don't know who we're gonna have yet you'll have to wait and see but we'll have uh episode three of our quarantine conversations Uh, next week. For Mo Brown, I'm Wes Mitchell. Uh, Catch every, all your GameCop coverage on GameCop.